Okay, well, thank you for coming to our session today. Today we have four invited experts. We're going to be talking about the new EU global health strategy. So in June of this year, the Commission opened public consultations for the, public, the new global health strategy. And I had the pleasure with Paco Perez Cañado, who advises Sandra Galina on international matters, of co-hosting that public consultation. And then subsequently, stakeholders could submit written feedback um, for the global health strategy. And that process closed last week, and there were hundreds of submissions. So at this point in time, Sandra and her team are busy analyzing those submissions, and they are in the process of developing the new global health strategy. So today we thought we could pull out some of the key themes to emerge from the public consultation and ask our experts to give their thoughts on them. During this event, we'll be using Slido, which I'm sure you already know from the other sessions. Um, if you go to slido.com, what you type in is moon. The word moon is our keyword for this session. And you can put your written feedback, your comments, ask questions. And we'll be also conducting some surveys during the session. And those will be on Slido as well. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our experts. Um, we have Mr. Paul Zubail from the German Federal Ministry of Health. We have Sandra Galina from DG Sante, European Commission. We have Ayoade Akadija, who is the WHO envoy to ACT-A, and she's also a co-chair of the Africa Vaccine Delivery Alliance, which is an AU initiative. And then we have Catherine Guinard, who's coming, us, coming to us today from the Wellcome Trust in the UK. And I'd like now to pass the mic to Paco, who's going to give us a sense of some of the key ideas and themes that came out of the public consultation, um, both written and live. Thanks, Paco. Um, it's, it's good that I don't uh, forget my pointer. Can you give me the pointer? Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, this wonderful journey of the public consultation ended uh, formally last week for the written uh, input. It has taken us from Stockholm to Madrid, but also from Abuja to Colombia. Uh, it's probably been one of the widest uh, consultations, including not only what our stakeholders feel in the member states, but also across the world, and in particular in the Global South. Um, as you know, we're planning to release a commission communication on the Global Health Strategy by the end of this year. And the end of this year means before Christmas, so maybe it's a Christmas present. Um, and as you know, in our system, what will happen next is that then our member states are going to have the opportunity to uh, voice their opinion on, this, on, the, on the communication via um, a, a process which will, then to, uh, which will end uh, normally during the Swedish presidency next year, so first half of next year, with what we call council conclusions. And these two elements together will be our new global health strategy. What we wanted to do today is, as we're still digesting the hundreds of submissions that we have had, we wanted to give you a, we wanted to give you a feeling in this landmark event for the first time of what is that the voices from the consultation have, uh, have told us. Well, what we have heard uh, from the public consultation is that in terms of priorities, we have to focus. Fundamental word, focus. First, we have to go back to basics. Um, and we have to focus on achieving the sustainable development goals, where we have fallen behind, uh, not least due to the focus that we have had to um, uh, place on the pandemic. And in particular, it's the bread and butter. Uh, 
universal health coverage, better health, and strengthening health systems at a very, um, shall we say, fundamental level. Um, primary um, health, uh, public health systems, and community-based health. So that's go back to basics first message. Second, of course, beyond, of course, this, uh, this uh, uh, emphasis, combat health threats with a One Health approach, which has been the focus of very interesting discussions here today as well. And this, this covers the whole perimeter, not only the visible age of pandemics uh, aspect, but also the silent pandemic of AMR, for example. The third issue is uh, also an issue that we all know so well, make health in all policies a reality. Easier said than done. I would even say that what we heard from the consultation was that we should do not only make health in all policies a reality, but make health for all policies a reality. And of course, we, we heard right, left, and center that the, 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 the priority should be to project the values uh, of the, the universal values that the EU believes in, and um, uh, such as equity, a very important word, solidarity, and human rights. In particular, gender issues and SRHR were mentioned as a fundamental priority. And across these, we had two important themes, the enabling role of digitalization and the need to deal with the imbalances in workforce, which are so important. Another very important set of messages was that um, stronger global leadership by the EU starts at home. Um, and we got homework from, uh, from the public consultation because we're basically told that we have to link all policies and actions affecting global health within EU institutions and bodies. Easier said than done. But equally, we should do this between the EU institutions and member states to be sure that we speak with one voice and have effective action. And a very important uh, aspect, we have to lead by example in the EU because it's a very important internal external nexus in global health. What we're also told is that we need a new governance for the emerging uh, global health order, a more accountable and effective WHO, a WHO that also um, does not cover the entire waterfront, so therefore we have to fill the gaps in global health governance. We have to ensure proper EU anti-Europe role in international bodies, something that we do not have now. Very importantly, we have to expand our partnerships across the world, um, but in a different way, with a different spirit, uh, um, highlighting the fact that we need ownership and co-responsibility of really working together. We were also told that we need a more purposeful interaction with private actors. What does that mean? It means that when we engage with private actors, um, we should be very mindful that they should really support the EU priorities. And finally, um, a theme that you will have heard, of course, a lot uh, about, and that is that we have to fight fragmentation and duplication, but in a very real sense. Um, on financing, a few themes. You can imagine that we were asked to um, put more resources because health is a multiplier uh, of economic and social stability. But we were told many other things that this is what was a little bit more surprising or interesting perhaps. We were told that perhaps that money doesn't need to be put extra on the table, but it could come from eliminating duplication within the EU institutions. In the work that EU, the EU institutions and member states are doing, and also in the, in the things that we're financing internationally. 
very important theme was domestic resource mobilization, linking back to the fact that we have to have co-ownership with the partners that, that uh, we're helping, trying to help, that we have to finance in an innovative fashion, and most of all, that we have to be effective by being much more accountable. The final set of points that, that I would like to highlight from um, the, uh, the voices that we heard from the public consultation is that we need really strong monitoring. This is something that we did not have in our previous um, stab at a strategy, which dates back from 2010. And we were told that we don't need abstract things. We need comprehensive metrics uh, that tell us what the EU and member states are doing and, and how, how far we're achieving our results. We need more transparency with more reporting to the European Parliament. And a very, very important point, the stakeholders have to be involved um, in, in the monitoring itself. So, this very short presentation should give you an idea of the ideas on the table. And uh, now back to Jen so that we can start on the basis of those ideas kicking around with our, with our great panel. Thank you. Okay, thanks for that, Paco. Um, I just realized that I forgot to introduce myself, <laughs> although I introduced the speakers. I'm Jennifer Brandt. I'm a consultant on um, various trade, intellectual property, and healthcare policy issues based in Geneva, Switzerland. So before we go to the speakers, um, we'd like to create another Gashteen word cloud. Um, I hope you'll support us in this endeavor. So we're going to launch our word cloud on Slido, and we'll keep the results hidden um, until a little bit later, maybe 10 minutes from now. It's quite simple. It requires just one critical issue that you think should be prioritized in the new EU global health strategy. So if you could take some time in the coming minutes to fill in your answer, that'd be great. So as Paco mentioned, the Commission in the public consultation didn't just seek the input of Europe-based stakeholders. They even traveled abroad. They opened up opportunities for stakeholders from Africa, Latin America, and other regions to contribute their thoughts. And so this, this theme of partnership is really a core element of the global health strategy. And on this note, I'd really like to invite Yodi to speak to us about partnerships with the Global South and her views on how that could be integrated into the strategy. Yodi. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jennifer. It's um, a pleasure to be here. And talking about partnerships, and also an honor to be next to my sister, um, talking about partnerships, the fact that we're here is in itself an indicator of some success. It's an indicator that the world is listening. It's an indicator that we're progressing from where we were and we're moving to where we should be. Um, what we did, I will speak to the Africa process. I was invited in, I forget what month it was now, the months are merging into one, but I was invited to Brussels to speak at the um, European Development Days at which the launch of the strategy, and at that point spoke and proposed that we have a, a wider discussion, um, at least for us, those of us from the Global South, and the, the fact that we were heard is a, is a really good point. Um, I think now having met um, DG Sante, I have a lot of my fears allayed because she and I all were on the same moonshot yesterday, which was for equity. And that is really where we have been, um, what the pandemic has shone a magnifying glass on, the, on all of the cracks and fissures in this world. And it showed very clearly that we had a lot of work to do, that our collective futures were in jeopardy. And we must remember that not only 
do we have a collective future? We also have a collective past. And sometimes that is complicated, but like all families and all relationships, things can get very complicated. And it's important that we speak about these difficult things. It's important if we're going to build partnerships that we talk together because I think there is more that connects us than that which divides us. I think we, the EU and the AU, Africa, we have so many shared values. We in Africa have resources, both natural, mineral, human resources that are desperately needed by this continent. We have human resources that are, at the moment, fleeing in, in many ways a continent because we as a global development, global health, global international community have not dealt with the core issues. And I was happy to see Paco present the going back to basics, which as part of our Abuja consultation, which brought in people from Senegal, from Guinea-Bissau, from um, I mean, from several countries, I think it was about 16 or 17 different countries, I was privileged to host that consultation. My little group at the Emergency Coordination Center co-hosted together with the European Commission um, and the development team in Abuja with the, the invitation sent out by the ambassador. That in itself, I remember when that invitation went out, there was a gasp from some corners that, oh my goodness, that this is now fully beginning to indicate true inclusion and partnership, as opposed to tokenistic participation where you invite me to the table and you say, well, here's one I made earlier, and you know, how about this, but where you invite us to co-create. Because for us as Africa, Africa is home to some of the world's worst humanitarian crises and most neglected. There is what is going on in Ethiopia, where six million people at the moment are cut off from services in northern Ethiopia and from all humanitarian aid and food aid. There's what's going on in northeast Nigeria, my own back backyard, where, where still it is neglected. People are not realizing the scale of what ISIS West Africa is doing. We cannot have a global health strategy if we do not have true partnerships where you understand what is going on with us. There is a saying, and I will I always speak a local language. I will speak Yoruba today. That Why do I say that? Why do I speak a local language? Because language is culture. And how we understand often, and the nuances sometimes have to come from a place of language. That proverb that I just gave means it is the one who wears the shoes who knows where they pinch. Now, Sandra and I are matching black velvet shoes today, um, and we're wearing comfortable shoes, both of us, so that we can walk. And so I'm sure they're not pinching, but I can tell you how it pinches me. And we have to have that conversation. There needs to be a shared understanding of our political economy so that you do not do unto us what you think should be done. So earlier, as you were launching the book outside, I heard somebody mention we shouldn't talk about politics. I must disagree. We cannot silo these issues anymore. Politics and health are completely interlinked. 
and for us to have true global partnerships that are non-tokenistic but that on the ladder of participation are fully inclusive and are co-creating, we have to understand the political economy. We have to understand the, 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 the language of those we are working with because going back to One Health, which we, we were talking about earlier today, if you look at the whole One Health of, let me talk not just of all LMICs, although I can speak to small island states because of my, my life in the Pacific Islands, and today we saw Tonga was the, the trending topic as we talked about the fragility of some of those states because of climate. But yet also in Africa, we have that. We have zoonotic spillovers going on that we, if we do not work together, your technical people with our technical people, because we have them. If we do not share technology where it comes to making and, and production and manufacturing of, of medical countermeasures, if we do not allow regional production of not just vaccines, but of tests and of treatments for a variety of, of ailments, we're just beginning to see South Africa begin, begin to make some childhood vaccines through South to South Corporation with India. But we, these big continents must start to come together and we must begin to listen one to another with patience, understanding that it might be complicated, but also that we cannot continue to look back to the past, but we must begin to look forward to the future. I ask the EU also to call our own political leadership in Africa to account. We cannot tolerate bad behavior anywhere in the world, and so we cannot prop up, prop up dictatorships or prop up those who will not, will not pay their, their own fair share, who will not contribute to the conversation in a meaningful manner. So it's a two-way street. A partnership, for me, is a two-way street. And I think that is what we're beginning to see with this current sort of new model of, 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 of working together, you know, as international as possible and as, as local as possible and as international as necessary. We need you to talk to us, to, to embrace us as we embrace you, warts and all, and say that for a collective future to be what we all want it to be, a global health strategy is not really just health. It is the social determinants of health we heard yesterday. It is education. So we need to all begin to say, no, not just health, also education. It is elimination of poverty. We heard yesterday about food insecurity. It is food insecurity. It is gender. It is about women's rights. I, as an African woman, as, as strong and as, as, as confident as, as everybody will say I am, have to struggle because nobody will allow our voices to truly emerge often within our own spaces on the continent. That is true partnership. When I can ring and call on my, my sister Sandra and say that we need some more African women voices in that global health sphere. Those are the sort of things that partnership will mean to us in this moment. And this is a beginning. It is a great beginning. And I congratulate the team on, on, on what they have done um, so far. And I'll leave it at there for now. So you've invoked so many themes and so many challenges. I'm sure the audience is dying to ask some questions, but I'm going to hold the questions, and we're going to let Paul um, give us his thoughts on a related topic, which are 
the actions and programs that are envisioned from the G7 and G20 on issues like PPR that will necessarily also be a crucial part of the strategy. So, Paul, the floor is yours. Thank you uh, very much and good afternoon and hi, everyone. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, very much for the invitation and I'm really honoured to be here today and to share <clears throat> my thoughts on the role of pandemic pre preparedness and response against the background of the new uh, European strategy um, on global health. I think given the situa situation that surrounds us and looking at the numerous geopolitical divisions um, we face, we really do not need to convince anybody anymore of the importance of global health. It's also clear that no single government or no institution can address this threat of the future pandemics alone. Therefore, I would really like to express my conviction that the European Union has a significant role in paving the way for improved pandemic preparedness and response. Already today, the EU is one of the most important actors in global health policy, and together with its member states, I'm also the biggest donor in this field. So Germany, as an EU member state and a strong advocate for global health, supports the development of a European global health strategy. If you look back since the last communications of the EC in 2010, the challenges of global health and our reality have changed dramatically. So it's a good sign that a new European strategy uh, is being developed and which is urgently needed. But let me come. Uh, to share our own experiences with the German global health strategy, because I, I think it can be really useful in this dialogue. Our experience was that showed that in order to achieve greater impact in global health, we, we need to build, and Jody alluded to that already, on shared values. We need to follow a strategic approach, and we need to focus on areas where we can actually make a difference. So engage in cooperation and ensure coherence. The pandemic demonstrated the need for coordinated action to respond to health emergencies, but did not only reveal gaps in foresight, but also in preparedness and response tools at all levels, including at the European level. So I'm imagining a world where we can now, in fact, prevent and fight pandemics. It is an ambitious, but yet achievable aspiration. Therefore, in Ending the corona pandemic and improving our responsiveness to future health crises is, is and was also a priority for the current German G7 presidency. And let me, in this regard, just come to, to one point that is really close to, to my heart and that I would like to allude um, a couple of um, seconds on. It's the G7 pact for pandemic readiness. It's a, it was a main deliverable in the health track with its aim to identify outbreaks faster and to mount a more effective response. And it, to this end, the pact focuses, for those who don't know, on collaborative surveillance, and we come to this a little bit later, and predictable rapid response, but also on emergency workforce and training and capacity. So from an international perspective, there is a need for cooperation also with our EU institutions. I'm thinking uh, of HERA, I'm thinking of ECDC. And therefore, an EU global health strategy that is analyzing already which role and added value for EU institutions are there uh, for global health. There are plenty of European expertise that we need to use globally in our efforts. I would also like to underpin and underline some other current international initiatives, just very briefly, just because they play an important role in further shaping the global health architecture in the area of pandemic preparedness. First, um, it's the negotiation of a convention or other instrument under the auspices 
of the WHO with the aim to ensure a political commitment to global health governance at the highest level. And together with the Commission, as, as, so, as the EU nego negotiator, we want to work proactively as a G7 and the G20 level for better multilateral coordination. Secondly, we need to strengthen the WHO. We need to strengthen the WHO not only financially, but also politically and technically as the central institution in global health <clears throat> to provide strong leadership and coordination. And lastly, the recently um, established um, FIF, the uh, Financial Intermediate Fund, that enjoys broad G20 support to address urgent investment needs, to address and strengthen the capacity of developing countries to prevent, prepare for, and respond to future global health threats. So the European Union has an important role for the success of all these processes that I just mentioned. Because I believe that one thing is clear, we, the extreme importance of considering all these work streams and build on counter path initiatives to avoid, and Paco mentioned it just before, to avoid duplications and to effective leverage synergies, um, uh, including on existing ones. So the challenge uh, that we need to tackle together is to ensure coherence that will enable us that we move away from fragmentation to consolidation uh, in the global health um, architecture. So in concluding, there are big challenges ahead of us, uh, but I'm totally convinced that we have the means and definitely certainly the will to jointly uh, tackle them together. I would leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Um, don't put down the mic because I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> so something you just mentioned um, was the G7 pact, and I'd just like to follow up on that. Um, I find it really intriguing, the idea of connecting different surveillance networks, but I wanted to see if there's some thinking um, from you and the ministry about the steps that could be taken to make that network truly effective, because as a practical exercise, it seems quite overwhelming. So if you have some thoughts to offer. Uh, Thank you. Yes, indeed. It's, uh, it's a big exercise. And uh, I think, again, it's also clear that no single government can address uh, the future pandemics alone. I mean, we need, what we really need is a collaborative approach while setting up these um, surveillance networks. Um, I think engaging um, in bilateral, but also in plurilateral uh, partners is a key priority. In setting up, for instance, surveillance systems and networks, mm -hmm. we are already working with the African Union, uh, including the African CDC and other uh, regional bodies. And to integrate a holistic One Health approach, we must prioritize strong cooperation and, uh, and across all sectors. I mean, across sectors such as agriculture, energy, water, I mean, you name it. Uh, it just needs that. And let me also point out again what I just said on the, the Pact for Pandemic Readiness. Uh, it precisely focuses on collaborative surveillance and rapid response. So one key element uh, of the pact is in fact, the strengthening of expert net networks worldwide, and of course, of cultivating a cross-sectoral and holistic approach to global health. So, but to maybe just to give you an example, um, together with the Robert Koch uh, Institute, the RKI, we, for instance, support the build-up of national public health um, institutions, for instance, in, in Namibia. And these public health institutions are actually the nodes, the hubs that need to be linked to regional and global health networks. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I think investing, uh, 
we need to invest in, in, in modern core competencies. Just setting up a system of, of modern technology and infrastructure is simply not good enough. So what we need to do, we, we must enable partners uh, in Africa to also use <coughs> and further excuse me, use and process the data they generate. So it's also about, um, uh, about data, um, data, um, data ownership. And therefore, uh, training and biomedical training has to come along also with investments in, in genomic uh, sequencing. I have a practical question also for Yodi. So on partnerships, um, if we're looking at, for example, partnerships with governments, obviously the partner government's commitment and buy-in is very important. Do you have an idea as to what indicators or metrics the EU could use to really assess and confirm that buy-in? Do you have thoughts on that? <laughs> the first thing is I would, for Africa specifically, I would encourage our EU partners to encourage African leaders to remember the Abuja Declaration. Um, so that for me is the number one metric. The Abuja Declaration of 20 years ago, we need to go back to that. 2001, I was there. And we need to go, we need to remind leaders. So this is what I'm saying about tolerate, tolerating is the wrong word, but, uh, but, but, but the fact that we cannot get so politically correct in this world that we lose everything that we have tried to collectively work for and oh, we cannot ask partner governments to do what they said they were going to do. So this needs to be your key talking point when you go to every meeting, that about the Abuja Declaration, how are we working towards that? That would be the first indicator. Governance, I would also say, would be another indicator, and we're talking about you know equity here. Let me go back again to the gender equity point, and that governments, we almost need to create, we, we need a new set of metrics to measure in this new world that we're entering into, because the world has shifted, the world has changed so much. We are, we are trying to play a new game with, 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 with old tennis shoes and an old racket or we're trying to, you know, we're trying to enter into a new era with, with a, and, and a, what, what you call it, non-digital tools. And we, and, and, yeah, analog, that's the one, <laughs> thanks. You know, and we need new tools for this new age that we're going into. Some of those tools have to include us have to include people from all diversity, all diverse groups. I mean, and the concept of equity within our countries, and this is all LMICs, not just Africa, all, be it South America, Latin America, Asia, wherever. So those are some of the metrics that, you know, as we're working with, with governments, you have to say, well, what are you doing in these areas? Because we know that if you educate a girl, you educate and you feed an entire community, and therefore the community's health outcomes are going to be better. She is going to have fewer children, and therefore we're going to have less problems with maternal and child deaths and maternal mortality and child mortality. We're going to need less vaccines. So, I mean, some of these things, this is why the back to basics was very much from my consultation. <laughs> you know, some of these things are simple. It, it is not rocket science. The, the other thing that I would like to say to, to the EU as you're looking at this strategy and to all partners, really, is that we also have to start looking at different models of partnership. I think that the, 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 we're trying to pour new wine into old wineskins. 
It does not work. If you pour new wine into an old wineskin, it will crack and it will break. And so we have to, all of us, look at new partnerships. When I convened, co-convened the, part, the um, consultation in Abuja, you know, the gasp was because here I am. I am not a government official, but I am just, I, I run an organization that is mainly focused on education and health, but I am an African with my own agency. And that is the way that things are getting done today. So when we talked about funding mechanisms and partnerships for funding, it's also going to be necessary to look at how you work directly with community organizations so that the funding that you're, you're providing in some instances through government does not disappear into a big black hole of, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, no need to say it. So we need to look at new ways of working. Okay. Mm-hmm. Questions? So we're going to show the results of the word cloud from before. Just so we can take a look. Equity. Okay. Okay, we'll give the speakers a chance to comment on that later. Um, we've got a lot of very good questions coming over Slido, and what we're going to do is during the general Q&A session at the end, as we're going to put those to the speakers. Um, I want to make sure that our other speakers have a chance to speak, and then we'll open the floor to, to more questions. So a number of times we've heard about the determinants of health, and as many of you know, the Wellcome Trust has priorities that include climate change, infectious diseases, and mental health, which puts Catherine in the perfect position to talk to us about determinants of health. Thanks. Great, thank you. Um, I think, yeah, you can all hear me. Um, So thank you very much for the invitation to be here. Um, It's a real pleasure. And thank you above all to the European Commission for taking on board this um, huge um, undertaking to pull together a global health strategy. It's been fantastic over the last 18 months to see how the EU has stepped up on health and um, geopolitically more generally. And it's quite exciting to think about the world, to think about global health 10 years from now, Um, where the EU has got a comprehensive, coherent, robust approach to to global health with this strategy as its kind of North Star. So thank you so much in advance. Um, So I think I've already been introduced. So I'm Kathleen Nuff from the Wellcome Trust, and I won't spend more time, but we are a global uh, philanthropic um, organization and funder of research. Um, I've been asked to talk about climate and health, but um, I did want to spend maybe just one minute talking about principles, um, um, because I think the values and ethos of the strategy are so important to its salience and its ambition, and um, if we don't, if we get the the how right, I think the what will just fall into place. Um, So I I do think that it's it's worth touching on those. The first of those, and I am not going to labour this point because um, it's been spoken about very eloquently already. It's in the word cloud. It's permeated every discussion over the last few days, um, and that's equity. So the strategy needs to articulate how it will go further for those who need it, wherever they are in the world. Um, That's first and foremost. And part of that, um, and again, it's been discussed um, how the EU will address kind of its, uh, uh, like the Wellcome Trust, is a uh, big, powerful Global North player in global health. Um, and it's something, it's, um, it's an awkwardness that you have to sit with um, and acknowledge um, 
um, and articulate how you're going to address it. So thinking about missing voices, it's been amazing how the EU has really consulted in a different sort of way. And I really hope that in the delivery and in how the strategy is implemented, that that is, that that is built on and followed through, because it's obviously really key. Um, I wanted to touch on finance as well. It's fascinating that this strategy is being drawn up midway through a multi-annual financial framework. I'm sure when it's published that the strategy will have um, uh, ambitious targets and plans for roadmaps, um, and all that needs um, money. So thinking about how that you know, where the money's going to come from, I think is going to be key. Um, and thinking to the next MFF, when the next research program's being drawn up, when the next health program's being drawn up, making sure that the ambition um, and the targets within the strategy are being fed through those programs. So they're really bringing it to life, ensuring coherence, but also making sure there's a financial envelope. Um, focus. Um, I think, you know, we saw everything that came through the consultation. There's a lot that EU could do. It can't do everything effectively, so there's going to have to be some really difficult choices to make. And finally, and you'd expect this from the Wellcome Trust, embedding science. So the strategy isn't just written for the challenges and the problems we know about now, but the challenges that we don't know about. So it's got that um, longevity in the long term. So those are just a few of the principles um, that I wanted to touch on. Um, but now to climate and health, which hopefully will bring some of those principles to life. Um, so DG Research convened an excellent session yesterday. Um, and the DG Klima um, speaker said, oh, there's real awareness um, across governments now that climate and health is a real issue. And I think that's true. But I think there is a gap in leadership. Um, and I would love to see the EU really step up and use the strategy as an opportunity to articulate how it will lead on climate and health, um, bringing together, um, as it is uniquely placed to do, the science piece, the, poli um, the policy and the politics. And I'll touch very briefly on those because I don't want to take up too much of my time. Um, on the politics, so on global health, um, political leadership is really key. If we look back the last 18 months, there was a power vacuum. The EU stepped up, and we needed it to step up. Um, and that's the sort of gap we're facing on climate at the moment. Um, the sort of leadership that can weather, you know, the EU is very fortunate at the moment to have a very powerful um, champion of global health, Ursula von der Leyen, but we need the sort of leadership that can weather changes in legislature, changes in budget, um, you know, political pressures, um, it's, uh, it needs the sort of leadership that can really endure in the long term and just keep plugging away um, at priorities. Um, the sort of leadership that can convene, so that's what we saw during COVID, that ability to convene um, not just its own member states, but governments across the world and really bring people together because no one else was able to do that. So really thinking about um, how, how that can, um, thinking about how the EU can do that in climate and health is going to be really key. Thinking about the G7, thinking about the G20 um, as fora, how it works in those fora with its member states, um, you know, with that Team Europe approach to really drive climate and health to the top. Um, and now to the science. So we spoke a little bit about the science yesterday, so I won't spend too much time. There's already work within DG Research, within the Horizon program, going into thinking about the link between climate and health. And that's really important, and I'm sure it will be built on um, in the next program, but making sure um, not only that it continues, but it's research with a global outlook as well, and that sits alongside 
beyond the EU kind of research funding programme, sits alongside building research capability in LMICs as well, because the two need to go in tandem. Um, and then on the policies, we've spoken a lot about health in all policies. The EU is really ahead of the game um, in this um, because we really need, and this came across in the One Health session earlier, this kind of transdisciplinary trans approach where we're not just thinking about health policy, we're thinking about, um, uh, or climate policy, we're thinking about transport, um, energy, the whole piece. So breaking down those silos of how people are working, using the opportunity of the strategy to get people in the Commission to just be working in a different way where, you know, you know, this kind of dream of having officials who are all literate in health and global health um, and th they're all pushing in the same direction to really deliver. So um, to conclude, I'd just like to say on climate and health, this is a real opportunity to really kind of articulate how the EU can bring together its, its unique um, capability across policy and the science um, and the politics and really drive effective change to populations in the U EU, but also in the global south. Thank you. Okay, before I invite our last speaker, Sandra, to give her thoughts, um, we're going to be launching some surveys now on Slido. We don't need to review them or explain them, they're pretty self-explanatory, but you'll have about the next 10 or 15 minutes to work through those questions and then we'll reveal the, the answers. Okay. Sandra, once you're done with your selfie. <laughs> no problem, I'm gonna invite you to give your thoughts on reshaping the global architecture. First of all, reshaping, we need to reshape. Microphone. So, first of all, we need to reshape this room because we don't have the answers. As you can see, we have many questions for you. So next time, we want to sit in a different shape. This is for the organizers. We want to be in the middle of the, of the people and we want to have a more sort of circular uh, positioning. We, we, you were talking about new tools. Well, let's start with the new predisposition of the audience. Sorry to be, for being a maverick, but I'm a bit like that. So, Clemens, please bear with me. Uh, then, secondly, I have uh, the pleasure and I'm humbled to be here because there are many people in the audience and not just here in the podium, you know, um, I'm sitting between someone who brings the prospect of we want to be treated differently and we will go also into what perhaps didn't work uh, during the vaccines. And you know, Paul, who represents a most generous member state, I must say it because you know, Germany has been behind our policies on, uh, in many respects with the money. And that is not, uh, it's not the only member state, but it's huge what, what Germany has been doing. And I'm also very pleased to see, I would say, our friend from the Wellcome Trust. We have been meeting over the, you know, the video. It's nice to see you, but the, the issues that they have been extremely active in, in injecting and uh, the, the, what we call today equity here, but be, before time it was like more sort of justice in the division of the very few vaccines that were there. Unfortunately, we failed. We have, we have to admit that it didn't work the way we wanted. By the way, I think that we need to change the shape because in the audience we have people like uh, Ilona Kikbush, who has, uh, I would say, a patent on many of the concepts that we have been juggling these days. Sorry, Ilona, we may be not doing justice to the things 
things that you expounded in your books, but you know, we're trying to be epigons of you. We have, I would say, in the public, a few people I will not mention by name, but, but that belong to, I would say, governments and, uh, um, how can I say, uh, very powerful states that are not on this side of the continent. And, you know, I refer to a sister who is sitting there, and we just met, and uh, we may be doing good things also with the United States, because the United States is in a very nice season, thank God. Uh, we lived a different season. So, you know, we, I still remember my first discussions about vaccines when, you know, it was very difficult. So, um, my thoughts, if I may, I go uh, in medias res. Uh, coherence will be very difficult. You were mentioning it, it's very difficult because we're talking here about geopolitical agendas. So let me say to you, my heart is with Africa, but there will be definitely amongst the member states many geopolitical agendas. And you will need to be very lucid that what will come out from the global health strategy will also be a composition of these agendas. Uh, for instance, the country we are, we are actually is hosting us, it's a country that is extremely keen on the Western Balkans. We have been doing first moves for vaccines, and I would like to thank uh, Clemens because he has been very, very active in trying to stretch our vaccines to the Western Balkans, and successfully so, because the quantities were also what they were. Uh, he was also trying to do good work with Tedros on a much broader agenda, but you know, and here I come. So, uh, if, if we want to succeed, uh, and I want to share very candidly my thoughts, we need to change the way we approach the emergencies. So first of all, we need to have something permanent. Now, Act A was for me something that should have stayed, but I'm thinking that somebody's winding them down. So, um, uh, you know, it's not, COVAX uh, was a good idea. We wanted to buy the, the vaccines through COVAX for all of us. But, you know, uh, we, we did not succeed in doing that because we could see that it was like uh, lots of, of discussions on who is running the board and how many people in the board. And in the meantime, you know, there was fire. There is a caricature out there of a koala embracing uh, a burnt uh, tree and saying, you know, I need solutions and the bureaucrat trying to find the solution. I felt, I felt sometimes this was the case under the pandemic. So we need a permanent platform, but the permanent platform is not enough because there we go with the surveillance. Surveillance of what if you don't have the people that can do that, meaning the doctors, the primary care. And I was happy to see health workforce and, you know, we will do something together, perhaps even with ILO in the future because, you know, workforce, it's at the end of its tether. The health workforce has not been paid, has not been rewarded by what they did in COVID. I'm sorry, this is the crude reality. They are very tired. There is a crisis now, another crisis later, and they don't feel that they are being considered now. Somebody was trying to explain to me that these people um, have a mission, they, they work even, yeah, but there's a moment when even the mission wears very thin. Eh? You, you, you go home, you know that some of these COVID nurses in Italy, they were kept out of their own home in, in, in campers, in, in uh, you know, sleeping in their own car because they were not accepted by the rest of the building like they were lepers, you know? So there were 
certain things are, were very ugly to see. And, you know, um, uh, what, what Africa has understood, and not just Africa, Latin America or Asia, is that unless they have capacity to produce, they will not have the vaccines. Hello, hello, we want to say that. And we want to say that we need to put the money where our mouth is. We have two representatives here of the Hadea agency that is trying, three, yes, because there's Nadia also. So uh, I would say Marina, Florina and Nadia, three angels that are trying to make this EU for health money go very, I would say, widespread. It will not be enough, but it's, it was, like they, the, the, the commissioner's line is 11 times the budget of the past, but the budget of the past was so for spinets. So uh, what we have now, it's moderately impactful, but it's not enough. So you need money, you need capacity. We put one billion for the capacity. Let's see what happens. But as you say, India has teamed up with South Africa. We, I don't, I don't know if we have some results in Senegal, Rwanda, or even South Africa itself, where we put the money for the capacity of the vaccines. Now, you mentioned the Abuja, 2001. 15% of GDP had to be put there. Who did that? Only Tanzania. Hello. So there is a bit, as you rightly say, but don't, don't think that my commissioners will go and remind them of the duties. It will be very difficult. So you're asking us to do it. We will put them in the briefings, but it will not, I think, be very easy to, to utter those words because there's still a bit of a fallacy um, of, of a different position, meaning like in this podium, we have answers. You've, uh, we, are we are the donors, you are the beneficiaries, but that doesn't work. That doesn't work anymore. The beneficiaries... They are not beneficiaries. They, they want to understand what to do also with the money within their own priorities. And, you know, the other day I was reading that Ebola is coming back. Are we doing something? No, it's not very European. So I'm sorry to say there will be a lot of watching. But when I'm asking studies about Ebola, they say, well, you know, it doesn't match because this has been always in Africa. So let me wake you all up, either the pattern changes or the next pandemic, we'll find us in the same place where we were for COVID. Hello. This is, this is where we will be. So permanent, the surveillance. Uh, also, stop this reactive mode. I'm fed up that we, for health, we are in a reaction mode all the time. We wait for the thing to hit us in our head, and then, you know, we react. But on that, I think Ilona would have much, much more words of wisdom. And, you know, let me say, there's a lot that your government is doing for this, I would say, projection at international level for the preparedness. We are trying to fund this, this new, well, we, I call it fifth, for lack of a better word, this preparedness fund. Yes, we put 450 million, the US put 450 million, then there are member states that are putting different millions, 50, 20, whatever. The important thing will be, and the proof will be in the pudding, to see that World Bank will run this not as a development project. I insist, it's not a development project. It's a health project. It's a health project. And the health project means that you listen to the health professionals, that you have, I would say, the health people in it. Because otherwise, we are constantly being deprived of the tool. We health people, we are onlookers. You know, we look at the window and they say, oh yeah, but yeah, the train is going. And you know, it if it becomes a development project, it's, it's, it's lost. It's it's lots. It's, it's, it's not, it will achieve other things, but not the things we want. So, uh, and, and I'm sorry if I'm being a bit crude uh, there. Uh, should I stop here, Paco? Have I created sufficient damage now? Okay. <laughs> I stop here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we want to pick up on a point that was just raised, which is the fifth, 
and funds. We've got a lot of funds in the world for addressing different health challenges, and some have suggested that it might be intelligent to create one global health fund. And so I'm going to ask Catherine, do you think that idea has merit, and were that to be created, what might that look like? Oh, Mike. Thank you. Um, so we were just talking about, um, you know, the importance of kind of workforce and kind of we touched on universal health coverage. And I think it's important to bear in mind that kind of a vertical fund is never going to be able to replace, you know, proper workforce, universal health coverage, those sorts of issues. So, you know, the kind of the underpinning elements of health need to be addressed um, um, for, um, that's a more effective way to spend money. Um, with funds, I think, focusing on where they can be most effective and most um, transformational, um, being realistic about what they can achieve, the political pressures, making sure there's, there's buy-in, making sure you know how far the money how far the money can go and prioritising where it should go is really important. And again, that need for kind of equity, kind of community engagement, making sure that you're spending money that people actually want you to be spending money on. So I think the answer is no. I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a, um, an effective um, idea. <laughs> okay. Sandra, I have a question for you as well, and then I'd like to open it to the audience. Um, so in terms of this vision of the global health strategy for Europe and the global health world, what do you feel the, uni the EU brings that's unique? Like, what's the unique contribution of the commission in this area that you're building on? Um, uh, very sim simple. Uh, we are 27 member states. We have diversity. We're a microcosm of the world. So, you know, we can bring this diversity. It's very easy for us. Uh, and by the way, thank you for this uh, specification of keeping the expectations, I would say, realistic. It's not the fund that will solve all the issues of health and create, by the way, universal health coverage. Yes, interesting. In Europe, we have it, but I'm not so sure that other, other countries in the world will be so happy if we push that as an agenda. Um, so let me say, uh, for me, we have this unique diversity. We also have, I would say, something that you, you are struggling at international level. I say you, but we are struggling also domestically, is the cross-border health threats. So we went through the pains of establishing even how you would vet your next door neighbor's uh, system. So this is really what is a bit needed also at international level. You cannot be uh, saying, oh, yeah, you are prepared for the pandemic. No. We need to check if you are prepared for the pandemic, and that is never pleasant, because you know we had the negotiations, and one of the most difficult points for the member states to accept, the Parliament was with the Commission. We were pushing ambition very high, but it was well apart from exclusivity. It was this thing that you go into a member state and you see if they are prepared. So they were wanting to call this a review, peer review. We had killed because it's the system now, and it didn't work. It simply didn't work because you know the member member state would go and say, oh, yeah, you, you're almost ready. And then the other member state, oh, yes, you, but it didn't work. So these things make us unique in contributing because we have lived it with our own contradictions also, because Europe is also very diverse, uh, diverse politically, 
institutionally, um, a lot of the of the health uh, expenditure is in in the lowest level of local authorities. You know, it's not national, so it's very complex. Some member states are federal. So let me say to you, we lived on our, in our own flesh all the contradictions that you have. So this we can contribute. By the way, we can also contribute money, which is always a good thing, and we contribute quite a lot of money. And perhaps you know, we we need to to spare a thought on how we will be spending the money on which sort of of horses we're betting. Because what I have seen is that at the moment, donors are choosing the fund a bit. And this is um, weakening the, the whole action, because every donor is choosing, I want to bet on the global fund. Very good, eh? we have contributed also, but I have seen one, one country, not to name it Japan, put like three billion. How much was it? It was huge what they put, because they chose that vehicle for their part. So there is a bit of choices that perhaps are undermining the global thing. But uh, something else we can say? about, I would say, our legal difficulties. Yeah, legal difficulties. I, I, I can, no, I can just add Questions. this, that we don't have real tools to push what we want to push, so in, sometimes mm -hmm. we are inventing our tools. And at the international level, it might be the same. Hopefully, we will get a pandemic agreement. A pandemic agreement. Does anybody have any questions? <laughs> If you do raise your hand, then we can pass the mic. Otherwise, we have a lot of really good questions coming from Slido. But I, this gentleman in the front, would you like to, to start? Okay. Yes. Here comes the mic. Yes. Oh, it's okay. He's gone. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. <clears throat> Three little remarks. The first one is a moral one. We should stop thinking in terms of charity. We should think in terms of empowerment, yeah. number one. Number two is, I don't know if everyone in this room realizes <clears throat> that 21-22 um, was a fairly good year when it comes to global health. But it was Europe, which was in the lead. We wouldn't have strengthened WHO financial base without the tireless work of my good friend Björn Kümmer of Germany, who was so tireless behind the reluctance of member states to increase the assessed contributions, now to 50% of the overall budget, the overall operating budget of WHO or to strengthen other elements of the governance, or to have this intergovernmental um, negotiation process for a new legally binding instrument for better preparedness and prevention, whatever you want to call it. All this wouldn't exist if the European Union and its member state wouldn't have pushed for that. Sorry to say, even the United States were reluctant to do that. But then we had a new government there, it was easier. But the old administration was horrible, really horrible when it came to strengthening the governing bodies. My third thought is, and I'm speaking as a representative, so to say, from a mid-sized country, I am really happy, and think about it strategically, that we have a European global health strategy and that also translates into a global strategy for, like the World Health Organization, because these are the only 
instruments or platforms where we, the smaller and mid-sized countries, have a say. It's about inclusivity. I love our German brothers, but they are different because they have G7 or G20. Mm -hmm. They're doing a wonderful job. I'm not criticizing that, you know that. But for, for Austria, for the Netherlands, for, I don't know, even the very well-equipped Scandinavian countries, we are all not part of G7 or G20. But we are part of the World Health Organization and we are part of the European Union. And this gives us also a place at the table when it comes to this global strategy. So I'm all for strengthening multilateral organizations. The European Union is an organization per se, but the World Health Organization. So these were my three little thoughts. But I think morally, and that's the most important thing, we should stop charity. It's about empowerment. <clears throat> Okay. One more question from the floor. Would you like to speak? Thank you very much. It's been a great discussion with the panel. I'm Tamsin Rose from the Africa Europe Foundation, and we're very excited to see the EU put forward a global health strategy. So a, a couple of points. The first thing is to strongly welcome the message and the focus on the health workforce. It's an area of critical importance. We cannot have universal health coverage in Europe or Africa or anywhere unless we invest in a sustainable health workforce, and that means recognizing the pressure they've been under. It looks at their career, their status, their conditions, their place at the table in setting health policy, and looking forward to the health systems of the future, because we can't magically pull a doctor out of a bag. If we're going to have an end to these endless crises of shortage of health workforces for 2030, we have to start building the pipelines now. And there is an opportunity for Europe and Africa particularly to work on that. And my organization is really committed to that. Uh, a second thing, the last six months has put the European continent in peril in a way that it hasn't been for 70 years. We always used to say that the European continent, the EU has been the longest period of peace on the European continent for a thousand years. And that's sort of gone. But what it has done, it has reminded us that peace is a precondition for health, for well-being, for decent housing, for poverty, for food. And this is a message that our colleagues in Africa have been trying to raise. We now have a shared understanding. How can we work together to look at this security for health and not just health security? Um, and the third element is you know, the extent to which we can address again the issue of poverty. The pandemic and now the, the conflict in Europe has wiped out the last 10 to 15 years worth of social progress. We have a quarter of the children in Europe facing poverty. We have food insecurity for the first time ever. This sense of fragility and vulnerability, we can either use it to become fortress Europe or we can use it to open up and see our shared message. And thank you for saying we have more in common than we have that divide us now more than ever. And some political forces are already saying, well, we should focus on Europe first and let everyone else go. This is the time for the health community to step up. Thank you. OK, 
Okay, so we are selecting one question from Slido, which is anonym, from Anonymous. It says, how will we keep the political support for the EU global health strategy in the coming 10 years? Who would like to take this question? Me? Be my ten guest. Years? Next 10 years. Uh, not not a, a difficult question. Uh, you need to imagine that there is a clear vested interest in us having health promoted at global level because what we saw with COVID, it was very clear where you don't have health elsewhere, you don't have it at home. So I don't think it's very, it's very difficult to convince people that they have a self-interest in, in, in going there. What is more difficult for me, and I uh, say it uh, looking at Paul, is that we need to have coherence of actors and coherence of tools, and this will be very difficult. So, coherence of actors. Um, you know, I must say, you rightly were pointing out to the, let's say, language with forked tongue that we go around in the world. We say one thing, uh, when we uh, discuss with the government and we want to have oil, we say another thing when we go for human rights and we say yet another thing when we want to share or not share the vaccine. So, you know, we, this coherence of the action will be quite a, a telling moment. Um, I must say it is also, in my view, uh, in, implicit in what, is, in what is, happens in the world. The world is very fluid today, so you cannot have uh, a monolithic position. This is the uh, 18th, 17th century. You could be monolithical. Perhaps somebody is still thinking they can be monolithical and drive wars. But, you know, for me, it's very difficult to have a single position and health. Uh, is in some respects very complex because, you know, we just got this topic of the workforce. The workforce needs to be uh, tread very carefully because what we don't want is a depletion of the health workforce in Africa. Uh, that doesn't work. Or in Europe. Uh, in Europe we have a lot of, I would say, hoovering of talent from Romania, from uh, Bulgaria that comes over to Western Europe. I have many uh, very good Romanian doctors that surround me even in Belgium. Then, you know, um, this, this, this sort of hoovering does not bring much back to the country of origin, even though they were trained there. So there needs to be a bit of a pact, but you know, it's not nothing new. I was explained this, and I think you, Clemens, you presented it at a certain point, this thing of, you know, you need to have a bit of a contract between the origin, the country of origin, where you do a part of your training, and the country of arrival where you finish your training. And then you, once you are finished, you need to go back to your country of origin. This you cannot do, you know, by, by dint of force, because people are free, people want to move. So I think that uh, you say in the next 10 years, the world will be changing every year differently, so I cannot predict it, but I'm sure that the demographics of Europe is one that will push the self-interest towards looking how expensive it is to have not just healthcare, but sim simple care. Huh? Um, the, the budget, there was two articles in the FATS yesterday about how expensive it, it, it is becoming in Germany to give care to elderly people. So it's simple elderly people. This we're not, you then can 
go one, one level up and say elderly people will have Alzheimer. Ilona can tell us about what they do in Japan. They already are starting to be ready for that. Are we ready for that here? No, forget it. Uh, so there are many things we will need as Europe, um, and we are very complementary with Africa. Unfortunately, it's, uh, it's you know, not as easy as it could be because, you know, there are some filters in the minds of people, so I will not go there. And uh, obviously, migration policy needs to be on different parameters if we want to use these complementarities. But it's going to be clear for me that it's in your self-interest that you will need a global strategy where you have coherence of actors, coherence of actions. One final word in reply to what Clemens was saying about, you know, we don't sit in G7. Uh, the Czech uh, minister put on the table something very interesting for the global health strategy, um, which is basically how they could um, partake all the member states of what is happening in the health arena in New York, in Rome, with the different, uh, you know, different actors. It can be France, it can be, this will be voluntary, of course, but for the um, middle-sized, small countries, it's very useful to be in a platform where they see what the message is, and this will contribute to coherence. This is a, a very modest, modest step to try to avoid the cacophony that sometimes uh, riddles our European presence, but you know, um, I'm very proud of Europe. I'm very proud of how we behave in 27, uh, very difficult. So I don't mind that there is sometimes some glitch, you know. Uh, our past is also very different in the, in the different member states. Uh, you know, I come from Latin America, so, you know, uh, Spain and Portugal are, are, are countries where you would go for university, and so it's inevitable that there is a different bonding between these parts of the world, just to make an example. So, I stop here, but there could be a lot to be said about uh, what we could do better, better. So we have a number of Slido questions. I have a, a question I'm going to ask Paul, and then I have a question also for Yodi. Um, so I'm glad that health worker mobility was raised because this raises some important questions, um, including one that came in over Slido. What is, how should we view the relationship between WHO and the EU health strategy? Do you have a, a view to share on that, Paul? If you prefer to pass on that, we can save another question. Well, um, thank you. <laughs> I take an attempt on that. I think um, what Sandra also alluded to, I think it also comes again on a different level here down to coherence. Obviously, it's important that, that we have somehow the health strategies aligned for a common purpose, right? We don't go anywhere if um, everybody, and that's why I'm trying to, to allude a little bit on the, when the German global health strategy was developed and also now what other countries doing, what's happening in France and the Netherlands and Sweden, when we look to it, it's important actually that we align these efforts. And the same actually should be, um, uh, should be happening on that level. And I think one key issue is really the communication. That's what we've seen way too often that there is a big divide in the, in the communication gap, actually, that we do not discuss. And that comes again also to the point that Tanda alluded to um, earlier on the uniqueness, right, um, um, of the EU. So uh, that would be my answer to that, that we really need to have better communication and more frequent communication, and also to have the ways to also shorten the ways for better communication. Thank you. 
So we have another Slido question, then we'll open to the audience again. So Yodi, you can take this one perhaps. Um, shouldn't EU-funded projects be accompanied by realistic delivery timescales rather than encouraging rapid, poorly thought out delivery? I don't know that that's my skill set to, <laughs> to answer that question, but I mean, let me speak to what um, Clemens spoke to earlier, that what we need to start moving towards is partnership rather than charity. Um, we need to stop, you know, Sandra re alluded to it when I, in, in terms of the Abuja declaration that perhaps we cannot go and tell leaders in different countries, but you're not telling, in that case, that is not telling leaders because they made that decision, they made that choice in 2001. So it is not a, a telling in that case. Um, how do we, you know, EU-funded begins to speak to that charity model. How do we co-fund? How do we co-create? How do we co-design? How do we co-implement um, is where we need to be going in the future. Uh, I have a couple of really quick points that are not maybe necessarily related directly to that question, but um, the health workforce issue as well, I really wanted to talk about because this is an important forum. And I want to say that not just is the health workforce, you know, globally tired, I think those of us who work in global health are tired. We are all exhausted. And absolutely, it has been two and a half years, three years almost of non-stop intensity where many, many of us have turned into politicians overnight, we've turned into activists and advocates overnight, we've turned into financing experts overnight. I'm looking at, at Paul here and his negotiations with the fifth. I mean, we have had to, to, to shift, sh shape, shape shift and, and become so many different things. And I think it is important that we all acknowledge that. And I think it's important that this forum acknowledges the incredible work that, and I want to acknowledge you, the incredible work that everybody has done over the last three years. Health workforce, I, I gave a um, keynote address actually at the health workforce event in New York last week. It feels like that was last year. Um, at the health workforce event at which I told the health workforce um, who were there, frontline health workers, that you are the very core of life itself. And that is what health workforce is. So that brings me back to the global health strategy. This global health strategy, we have to go back to the basics again. We have to go to the broad definition of what is health. A state of social, economic, spiritual, physical, we forget that. And as you talked about the WHO, the WHO is the only organization mandated globally to embrace it in all of its, its wholeness. But it, we had a discussion, myself and Ilona, actually, yesterday, talking about where did we begin to put health in these boxes and in these silos? And for me, if there is one ask I have of this strategy is that you begin to maybe desilify, that's a ter terrible word, <laughs> but desilify health, we begin to look at it again in its broader sense because we are, we are desperately trying to cram it into little shapes and little projects and little boxes. You asked the question about financing earlier. You know, countries are choosing who to, who to fund. Some will fund CEPI, um, vaccine, um, um, R&D and some will fund, fund the global fund. Countries, the UK will fund uh, 
maybe one and not the other. But the UK and some other countries, going back to political leadership, and I'm going to call it out, because you started calling it out, Sanja. You gave me permission, thank you, are behaving badly. They're behaving badly. Well, the UK has hoovered up about 60,000 this year alone medical professionals from Nigeria. From Nigeria. How on earth are we going to have healthy societies in those countries if we are literally breaking, as we discussed earlier yesterday, that social contract between ourselves as nations and also between the citizenry and its government? How do we fix these problems? We talk about migration. We are all migrants. We are literally all on this planet migrants, but we have made enemies one of another because we're afraid, because of fear, because of fear of what is different, because of fear of what we think might come to, to change our structure. You speak about governance and you speak about platforms for preventing um, pandemia in, in, in future years. You speak about the ACT Accelerator, which I have to acknowledge here as the special envoy for the ACT Accelerator. The EU helped to stand up. The EU stood that up, and, and, and I have to acknowledge here that the ACT Accelerator was the only end-to-end -end pandemic um, um, platform and remains the only end-to-end -end pandemic platform. We cannot afford to lose it, and yet there are vested interests that would like to create their own platform so that we can have you know, the pale, male, and stale. We can begin to create our own little kingdoms. This is not the way the world is going to go. So if we're going to have a global health strategy, the global health strategy has to address the difficult questions. We have to address why the EU will stand up something that, like, like an act accelerator, but other people and other those who didn't have a stake in it will try to break it down. We cannot allow this to happen because your health is my health. Your health security is my health security. Our borders are no longer um, um, uh, are no longer impermeable. We are all connected. Thank you. Does anyone have a question from the audience? I'd like to, sir. Um, do we have a microphone, please? Yeah. Yeah, microphone. No, no, we, sorry, we do apologize. It's this gentleman first. Kind of both. If you keep it short and you keep your answer short, we can also ask your question. So. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, sir. Uh, this is an exhilarating um, presentation. I, I think, uh, first of all, my name is Mada. I'm from IFA. Um, I just want to know to what extent is the EU thinking about the health in all policy agenda? in, for instance, the global health strategy, when, for instance, there is uh, trade deals going on in different parts of the world, and uh, how, the, how, how is this global health agenda going to be, uh, strategy going to be like aligned to some of these uh, uh, different regional um, uh, interests? Uh, you simply put the co-creational aspect of it uh, for everything that's involved. I mean, we have to have this uh, from the onset Otherwise, um, the implementation of the strategy itself will just be for Europeans, but uh, the beneficiaries of the strategy itself uh, are not going to see anything out of it. Thank you. Catherine, would you like to take that one? 
Um, sure, I can. I mean, I, um, you know, I'm obviously uh, not the. Um, I'm not the European Commission, so I don't know the extent to which they're thinking about health in all policies. But obviously, um, in my remarks, I think it's absolutely fundamental. I think health in all policies up to now has been very kind of internal focus. So, um, you know, thinking about the benefits of, um, you know, thinking about how policies have an impact on health. And I think, you know, taking that a step further and thinking about how future or current initiatives can um, can benefit not just populations in Europe but across the world is really important for me. It's a, a fundamental part of where the strategy should be going. So I completely echo what you said. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> okay, um, one last question from the lady in the back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I introduce myself as Global Health Optimist. So I'm very pleased to hear what we heard today. And I also would like to say I am a global health trainer and a health workforce um, creator in a way because you need to keep this, um, what we call as empowerment, but also something called motivation. So the last two years haven't been easy for us as trainers to keep our young students motivated to be in the field. But I really want to acknowledge you, Ayodhya, sitting here, that the world is far too connected than it was ever before. So probably maybe I don't have a direct question, but I do have a small compliment because I wanted to be in Stockholm for this particular consultation. I live in Stockholm, I'm in Sweden since almost two decades, but I couldn't be there. And I'm delighted I am here where I can also voice up that coming from a country where diversification is our way, so I come from India. And living in uh, Europe, I am a champion of collaboration because I work with EU-funded projects, and I've been coordinating that. And we are talking about Health Workforce 2030, in which communication and collaboration are the two main competencies out of six that you want in your young you know, people championing it for further. So I think I'm really, I think I go back much more happy and delighted having been part of this space today. So I want to thank each one of you. So it's not a question, but a compliment to all the efforts that DG Sante you've been doing over time and to Swedish leadership. We really want to be the champions and be the co-implementation along with you. Thank you so much. So before I give the floor to Paco to close and to reveal the, revolts, the results of our Sledo poll, um, something has been completely missing from our discussion, which is industry. We don't have anybody from the private sector on our panel. We did have some... Yeah. Um, does anybody have a, a view as to the appropriate contribution or what you would expect from the private sector in relation to the global health strategy? Um, and it's like a 30-second response because then we're out of time. Sister, you take that one, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do this. Get your microphone ready. Double act. Okay, come on, let's go. So they, industry, in terms of health, needs to share technology. They need to ensure that all the regions of the world are able to produce what they need. And I'm not just talking about vaccines in a pandemic. I'm talking about all across the board. Um, we need private sector 
closely aligned with a globe, any global health strategy because, again, they are a part of what we all do. We have to stop demonizing one another and we have to learn to work together, but yet they also must come to morality, like Clemens said earlier, and have to understand that you know, making obscene profits in the middle of a once-in-a-hundred-year event is not something that will write their names down in, decently in the annals of history. There are people who are dying as we speak because they're refusing to share technology, they're refusing to, 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 to open the arms. as discussions ongoing at WTO right now. So we need industry to come to terms with their own humanity and realize that money is not everything. Something to add, Sandra? You know, um, it is true what you're saying. There is a part of, of, of reality that it's inescapable in what you say. But may I say that industry, in the case of, uh, of the vaccines, was really extremely useful and it was a blessing in the sense that we need them, we need them. So we want to work with industry. We understand that industry has also, I would say, it's not a charity, unfortunately for us, but you know, they have their own shareholders. They need to, so it's also a question of uh, a business model that perhaps needs to change also on the part of the payers and the buyers. So let me say to you, I do believe we can give incentives to industry, we can make them work, and it has succeeded. I would say the vaccines is a clear evidence that industry was managing research that was really very backward and, and giving it a push. To, so I'm extremely grateful for that. At the same time, you know, there's a moment when beyond the incentives, there is a discussion that has to be had on, on the good way to run a business model. And, you know, in some respects, with Jenny, we talked about intellectual property. We have an issue with intellectual property when we think that intellectual property is like water. But, you know, at the same time, there is a moment when you give the right incentives, intellectual property can come and can be shared. So it's, it's a very messy answer, mine, but let me say nothing is is black or white. They, we would not have had vaccines without industry, so my gratitude goes to them. And it, we would not have it without an intellectual property that was fostered for other purposes. It was in the mRNA case was, was cancer. But at the same time, then comes reality that hits us all. We need to have a, a good proposition for industry as buyers and payers also. And that, that is a conversation that needs to be had with the governments of the EU what do we want to do with, with our pharmaceuticals, you know, and I hope to have that conversation in the future. It's very complex. It's very complex. I'm not, uh, but I will, I, I will tell you I'm very optimistic that we will find a point of convergence because industry is not the, the old industry that we knew. They, they have understood that the winds are changing witness also in the U.S. that they are deciding to pay something less the medicine. So it's something that will help us all. Thank you. So it's complicated. Come and engage with us. <laughs> okay. On that note, I would love to hand over to Paco for a synopsis, next steps, etc. Paco. Well, dear colleagues, the, the, the next steps, and I'm very grateful for the, for, for the comment from the Swedish colleague, the next step is that once the communication from the Commission is released, which again it will, it will be a pre-Christmas present. 
Um, this will fall for deliberation on the hands of member states. And I'm actually, because there are also some Swedish colleagues in the room, I want to ask myself a rhetorical question. Because um, global health, uh, the global health strategy is no longer only fundamentally about development, but a truly holistic approach, as has been described today. Um, how is Sweden going to manage the discussions? Is this going to be through the development track? Or is it going to be through a track that puts health at the center of the discussion? Don't kill me. I will kill be, I'll, be, I'll be killed afterwards in Brussels, but that's okay. Now, I wanted, to, uh, I, I wanted to finish by giving the voice back to you. This was about voices from the consultation, and we wanted to uh, uh, say back to you what you have told us today. And this allows us to pick on some of the themes that, that, that we have seen. First of all, you've all thought that the five um, priorities that we mentioned are important which is very reassuring. But most of all, you told us it is right to go back to basics. It is right to go back to strengthening health systems and um, getting to the UN Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. And you have also told us that we have to do things in a different way, with a health in all policies approach and integrating One Health. Next, please. Now, you have told us, we, we talked briefly about the WHO, um, and I always say that, um, when I look at this slide, that the main message is not in what you've written. The main message is that you're sending collectively is that the WHO has a fundamental role to play in more normative work. Global health needs more rules. And the, the natural habitat for developing the, those rules are the, w, uh, the, the, the WHO. But I'm going to say that, of course, Health workforce being um, at the center does ring a bell. Next slide, please. A major theme that we have all been developing together in the panel has also been that it's not necessarily about the, 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 the what, it's also it's about the how. And we have to work differently in order to make sure that the EU, in the, with a Team Europe spirit, together with our member states, we, we can continue to shape fundamentally global health at a crucial time. You have agreed uh, overwhelmingly uh, that we need to have a more comprehensive mapping of what we're doing within the EU so that we can bring this all together. And I think that this is a, a very fundamental point. And last, the first one, yeah, which we missed. We, we, I want to finish with equity, James. Yeah? Can you go back to the first cloud? Anyway, you saw very briefly the first cloud in terms of priorities that, that, that you thought were important. Um, and the, this, in the center, you had the word equity. Equity abroad with our partners, equity also at home in the EU, in the fundamental steps that we have to take in our own health systems, because leading by example means that we have to start working at home. These were your voices. Many, many thanks. And um, we look forward to your, ah, Ilona wants to speak. We, I mean, we have to give Ilona the floor. Huh? I mean, come on. Ilona, please go ahead. You finish, you finish, yeah. Ilona. No, I just want to make a historical comment. Yeah, no. <laughs> I want to make a historical <laughs> 
I want to make a historical comment. I just sent a tweet about it. This is a really historical meeting because 20 years ago, the very first time there was talk of a European global health strategy was here in Bad Gastein. It was Commissioner Byrne, we had a panel, I had just come back from the United States, uh, and the United States had a global health strategy, and we had had a discussion that Europe needs a global health strategy. And David Byrne thought this was a fantastic idea, and he put it forward. Uh, this was, I think it was 2003 just before you know, the commissioners changed. Then uh, global health became part of the health strategy of the European Union. Then it sort of disappeared. And then it came back as a global health strategy. And now we're working on the second one. And this second one is totally different. And that's why I'm saying this is historical. The way, and in a way, I think the way we thought about a global health strategy 20 years ago is much closer to what this slide says. Of course, we didn't think about digitalization, but it's much closer to what this slide says than what happened in between. And that's why I'm saying this is a really historical meeting, and I'm really happy that this consultation, that we could have that here in Gastein. And thank you also to my co-president, my president, uh, uh, Clemens, uh, that uh, this has been possible and that he has helped take it forward. Thank you. Okay, that was the perfect end to our session. So with that, we gavel it down and we'll see you at dinner, just really fancy. Bye. Thank you.